Howdy folks, and welcome back to the Run of the Mills podcast. My name is Mike, and I will be your podcasting host today. Hey, we're roaming through Romans, and we're in chapter 11, and we started chapter 11 last time, but I think we only got halfway through it. And uh, so, hey, let's see what happens today. Again, the last three chapters, chapters 9, 10, and now that we're at 11, so I guess it's the last two chapters, plus 11, uh, are again talking about God's relationship with Israel. And he's been dealing with this question of, has um, has God uh, rejected Israel because they rejected Jesus? Um, so let's, let's take it from there and see what happens. So verse 1, it says this in chapter 11. Paul says, I say then, has God cast away his people? All right, so there you go. That's the question he's asking. Most of the chapters, as we've mentioned, in Romans start with a, a question that has kind of springboard off what he said previously um, about um, Israel rejecting uh, g- rejecting Jesus and that being to the Gentiles benefit that the gospel going out to the Gentiles after it had been rejected by a, um, a disobedient and contrary people, uh, verse 10 ends with. So he says, I say, has God cast away his people? And the answer is certainly not. Certainly not. Now, Paul doesn't just say certainly not and end there. He gives evidence because that's how he rolls. And uh, and to me, this is one of those great things about Paul is that he's always going to back up his arguments, especially his uh, his controversial ones, to, to show you that this is not something that he's just making up, but there's more there's more going on. So... So let's see what he uses as his examples or his proof text, whatever. He says, has God cast away his people? Speaking of Israel, he says, certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So first of all, Paul's uh, example for uh, did God cast aside Israel? Well, he says, well, first of all, I'm a Jew, so uh, I'm of Israel, so um not everybody, not everybody rejected him. Um, but here's the thing. He's not just going to use um, that as an example, but he's also going to kind of paint a bigger picture of something that's often referred to as the remnant or the faithful remnant. And so let's read on and see what we encounter. Verse two, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. So here's that uh, that great story. And if you want to go back and look it up, it's in 1 Kings chapter 19. And, and remember that uh, Elijah had been kind of at odds with Ahab and, and uh, Jezebel, and been, you know, he had had the the victory on uh, Mount Carmel and they uh, Jezebel was wanting to kill him. And he, he's crying out to God saying, I'm the only one left. You know, I'm the only one left. And what God says to him is a great thing. Um, Again, he says, Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? In verse four, he says, I have re- reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
and so he says he's reminding uh reminding the reader that look in the old testament there was a time where it looked like all of israel had turned against had turned against god and you know here was elijah alone and god says no remember remember um or paul says remember what god said to elijah that there are 7000 men who have not bowed the knee and you know that i've reserved he says i've reserved for myself even so then at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace and so he's talking about this remnant that this is something you see throughout the bible that there is this faithful remnant and actually if you look throughout history there has been this faithful remnant even during the what we might call the dark ages a time where the roman catholic church basically ruled the world and um, in the name of christianity in the name of jesus did horrible horrible things um and uh, even during that time there were those people that were faithful to god's word they were actually bible believing christians who were following god's word and not being um and not falling for what they were being taught by a um by a clergy that was de deceiving them and by leaders that were taking advantage of them you know and this is one of those things and maybe we should just talk about this for a second um, that often comes up when you talk with people that are um, in uh, opposition to Christianity or they're, you know, if you're talking to them about maybe what you believe or you're, you're having a discussion about religious viewpoints, oftentimes these things are brought up. They bring up the atrocities that have been done throughout the world, throughout history in the name of Jesus. And I think there's an important thing uh, to understand there that when we say in the name of Jesus, they're doing it in the name of Jesus. There, there's two ways to do things in the name of Jesus. One of them is to say, I'm going to do this in Jesus name. I'm going to do it according to his person, his character, his power and his authority. So I might say, you know, I'm going to, in Jesus name, I'm going to go serve people. So I'm going to do, do that in accordance to who he is as revealed in the Bible. I'm going to do it in, in light of uh, his calling, in light of his grace, in light of his goodness, etc. And so when I'm do, when I'm saying I'm going to do that in Jesus' name, well, I'm, I'm doing it for his glory and for his purposes. That's one way that you can use that to do something in Jesus' name. The other way is the way that they're using as a bad example, and that is excusing bad human behavior by slapping a Jesus sticker on it, by saying, oh, yeah, we're doing this in Jesus' name, Therefore, um, it's okay. Now, the thing you have to understand also is that they, the, the general populace didn't have access to God's word. They were reliant upon religious leaders to tell them what it said. And when you have a situation where you have men in power who are telling the people under them what God says, it's, it's always a dangerous thing. It's always a dangerous thing. And that's one thing that as a pastor, I'm always telling people, they don't believe what I say. Go back to the Bible, look it up, study it. Make sure what I'm saying is what it says. Look deeper into it because I've been wrong plenty of times before. Um, but I should never use a position of, you know, as a teacher to lord that over to somebody or to manipulate people to do what I want. I've been asked to do that. Um, there were times where when I was a pastor where multiple times where, and when I was a youth pastor even, where 
churches where I was serving uh, were low on money and the pastor or, or, or when I was the pastor, we both asked at different times, like preach on tithing, preach on tithing. Well, that opens up a whole big can of worms about what does the Bible actually say on tithing, but it's manipulation, right? It's saying you preach this because we're a little short on money. No, the, what you do, if your church is short on money and you're concerned that, Hey, we're not gonna be able to keep the doors open is you say to your congregation, we're low on money, you know, and, and the last church where I was, that's what we did. We just had a meeting. We said, okay, if this, if you call this, your home church, come here after church, stick around and have a meeting just for people that consider this, their home church. If it's not your home church, if you don't consider this your home church, um, this meeting's not for you. And then once everybody was together, we said, Hey, let's talk about some family business. Number one, we don't have enough money to pay our bills. And if we don't have enough money to pay our bills, we have no business continuing to rack up debt. Um, and we have no business being in a building uh, where we promise to pay money to somebody and we're not doing it. And when, when you're honest with people, you know, hey, guess what? People stepped up. It's a shocker. But that's one of those things that we have to be so careful about um, is that lording it over people. And and so, again, this is what, what we saw and what we see looking back at history is that there were these, you know, crusades and things that were done. And inquisitions that were done, that were all done in the name um, of Jesus, but it wasn't really in the name of Jesus. It wasn't really done in 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 His authority, according to who He is, according to what He has said, you know, according to His His divine character, His grace, His mercy. You know, not at all. It's again, it's a label slapped on it to get people to do what the leaders want. It's manipulation. It's saying, hey, if you don't do what God's telling the leaders, um, you're going to go to hell. You're not going to be forgiven. And so it's it's, um, it's spiritual blackmail, spiritual blackmail, and we should have no part in that. And so what do you do when somebody says to you, well, Christians, a lot of horrible things have been done in the name of Jesus. I'm like, well, yeah, a lot of horrible things have been done by men with an ex- claiming they're doing things in the name of Jesus. But it wasn't done actually in the name in according to who he is it was done with a jesus sticker on it um to cover up to cover up the deeds and desires of wicked men anyway next time we'll talk more about grace because hey that's a good thing to talk about and it's in our next verse actually it was in the verse we stopped on oh no well we'll talk about it next time have a blessed day talk to you soon